So let's talk boundaries. <laughs> How do you set boundaries? What's a healthy boundary? Um, all of that conversation. You know, it's so funny. It's a uh, boundaries. Boundaries are a very important conversation, but so is letting people into our hearts. I think that the current conversation around boundaries is really important, but it can be so easily misconstrued. Boundaries is not about keeping people out. It's about just letting people know how you want to be treated. It's also about being able to say no when all you do is say yes, which has nothing. I mean, boundaries really have very little to do with the other person that you are trying to enforce a boundary with. They are really meant to be a sort of roadmap for yourself and for the people in your life that give you the guidance and the direction as to how you want to be treated and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And like I said, the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to a boundary is just people learning how to say no when all they do is say yes. It's a great place to start. Yeah, so they're important. And for some people, learning how to enforce boundaries is their spiritual work. Like that's their work because they are boundaryless. For some people, their boundaries are too firm. So that so it's important that when we're talking about boundaries that we have different boundaries for different people in our lives. We have boundaries for coworkers that are different than our boundaries for our lover. We have boundaries for family that's different than our boundaries for friendships. So when we do talk about boundaries, it's not just, it, it's so dependent, first of all, on the person, and it's dependent on what relationship and which relationship they are dealing with in their lives. It's an important distinction. And I, I want to go back to what you said about, you know, people that have too rigid boundaries or people that are boundaryless. Mm-hmm. To those, let's talk, I guess, to each one of those individuals, then what would be their work? And can you start to paint a clear picture of what setting an effective boundary would look like? So the work for someone who has very little boundaries, they are, someone who has very little boundaries typically is crossing other people's boundaries and also allowing people to cross their boundaries too much. And then consequently, they are having a difficult time navigating the world of relationship, right? Because let's think we have to, we have to understand the point and the purpose of a boundary is to make it so that you have better relationships. And so you want to get someone who's boundaryless has to understand what is another person's boundary. Uh, you know, a lot of people who don't, who cross a lot of boundaries, don't pick up on social cues as much as they should, you know, or, or they are so overly concerned with their own agenda that they're not actually picking up on, or they are ignoring the other person's discomfort. I mean, look, a big part of relating is picking up on these sort of nonverbal cues, right? So the work is to, is to, is to become more respectful of your time, to become more respectful of other people's time. For some people is to learn how to love themselves more so that they don't allow people to take advantage of them, right? So there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum. I mean, some people, 
their work is, you know, they've been in abusive relationships. So it's, and it's a boundary that they have for themselves. It's like, I will no longer engage in a relationship with someone who treats me like A, B, or C. I will no longer accept a date from someone who, you know, whatever, like doesn't call me back. So sometimes we have to have these sort of rules for ourselves or boundaries for ourselves so that we can navigate the world of boundaries more easily. A lot of people have these intense rules about how people should or should not be. And they're like, well, that's not my boundary. It's like, well, no. Or they say, well, that's my boundary. No, that's not your boundary. That's your unrealistic expectation of how other people should be based on a blueprint that you have about life that says that all people should be like this and no one should do that, right? So their work is to kind of learn to give people a break to see that everyone is always coming from their own personal background. But, you know, you mentioned too rigid of a boundary. I think that, you know, it's no fun being in a relationship of any sort with someone who you know, has like a stop sign basically in front of their heart, <laughs> you know, like that's no fun. It's like, okay. Like, so I, I think that boundaries is something that needs to be in constant conversation and negotiation with oneself and with others, you know, and we're always, and we're figuring it out. We have to figure it out as we go along in a relationship, like where our boundaries are, having communication about boundaries, because some people were raised in homes where like, there wasn't a lot of boundaries. You know, things were just like, you can talk about anything. There was a lot of openness. There was a lot of getting into each other's business, right? And then there might be someone else who was raised in a family where like everyone was tight-lipped about everything. You don't talk about anything. You don't ask anyone their business. These are like two opposite ends of the spectrum. Well, boom, these two people find each other and they're attracted to each other and they start a relationship with each other. They're going to have to negotiate where and teach each other where their boundaries are. And, you know, it's again, it's a constant conversation. It's a constant conversation. I love that you're bringing that up because it's, I mean, what you're really getting at is that there's not one blanket answer that we could throw out because every situation no. is so unique. And I think those blanket statements can be good for the algorithm because people are like, oh yeah, that's the thing. And then they're like, oh, there's the answer, but it's not that easy or yeah. simple. No, it's not. It really is not. There's a lot of nuance. Yeah. To sit in the conversation of boundaries, how can people identify kind of maybe somebody's aware, okay, I, my boundaries are too uh, rigid or I, I don't have any boundaries. They start to have that awareness. How can they start to identify what's a yes or a no for them? selves? Yeah. So I think that it's beyond a yes or a no is what is to ask oneself, what is it that I need in order to show up fully in my relationships? Like, what do I need? What do I need to do in my life in order to show up fully for myself? Hmm. Right? So there might just be like, you know, again, and it could be the boundary of, there's also, you know, cause there's external boundaries and there's internal boundaries. Sometimes you know, the internal boundaries, which I think are trickier is how do I navigate not allowing other people's opinion of just anything and of me influence me? 
-hmm. right? So how do I not allow someone's agenda, personal agenda and personal belief system to infiltrate, infiltrate mine? This is the biggest one actually that I've seen personally and in my practice. How do I have compassion for someone's pain while at the same time detaching from them relationally. Mm. These are the boundaries that are harder to define for ourselves and harder to enforce. Yeah, how do I love this person while also maintaining my sense of self and autonomy? There's no quick fix or easy answer. But usually what's involved in that is, again, being able to be say no to let people know when you're available to talk and when you're not available to talk and then sticking to that regardless if they sulk or not or they're pushy or not. So being mindful of your energy, your time, your resources, and then keeping that in mind and being mindful of that, learning when to say no and also teaching people I mean, every time you say, I am available between this and this time, if you need to speak to me outside of this time, I'm only going to be available next week. That's a boundary. Mm -hmm. That's basically saying, you know, I can do it. I, I'm only available a certain amount of time. Another boundary is, you know, someone saying to you, I don't want to talk about it. And then you keep trying to get them to talk about it. Then you are infringing on someone's boundary, right? So... It takes practice. Let's just say that. Yeah. 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 And an exploration of your needs too. Cause mm -hmm. like you said, it's, it's, this is what I need. And I think for a lot of people have a self abandonment and haven't really discovered actually what it is that they need, or maybe they have, but their awareness is on other people. Oftentimes yes. not, especially that was my experience being yeah. someone who is a people pleaser and codependent and all the things. And so all with this all the fun things. And so um, in this conversation of boundaries, how and how much does self-worth play a role? Well, it plays a big role. First of all, look, what is it that you said? You said, you know, you said you were all those things, but there was something that you said before that. I don't remember, but you have to understand like whenever we are capitulating, doing, you say, oh, self-abandonment, self-betrayal. Yeah. The reason why self-betrayal is such a buzzword right now is because we all really want love and we all fear that we're not going to be enough. And some people fear not being enough and being unloved really, really strongly to the point where it interferes with their life. And some people fear it only in very specific instances with very specific people. But there's not a single human being walking this earth who does not in some way fear that they are going to lose love in some way from the person or the people that matter most to them. There's just, it's just, it's part to struggle with our values, part of being human. So when we, every time we abandon our needs, because we have made someone else's needs always more important than our own. We are operating from a place of fear that's telling us that if we don't do that, if we don't put their needs before our own, we're going to lose love. 
we're going to lose love. That is the bottom line. So we've learned that by putting others before us, we've associated that behavior with the insurance that we are going to not lose love. And so to retrain ourselves, our brains, our bodies, our nervous systems, the whole shebang, to retrain ourselves to understand that by making our needs at least as important as someone else's, and sometimes more important depending on the nature of the relationship, that that's not actually going to make it so that you lose love unless you are in relationship with someone who absolutely does not care about you to begin with. So that's how we tie in self-worth to that is, number one, do I feel like I even deserve that love? Do I deserve to be someone walking this earth that, that gets his or her needs met? Do I deserve that, right? So that sense of deservingness is so important. Self-worth ties into that a lot when we are putting the needs of someone else in front of ours and, and that person really does not care about us or they say they care, but they don't treat us well. We get a stronger sense of self and self-worth when we are able to say, I am going to love myself and that is going to be the certainty that I have going into relationships and I'm going to break the pattern of thinking that I have to sacrifice myself in order to get love. I mean, it's a whole, it's a complete internal renovation that needs to happen that includes how we think about our whole belief system. I mean, it's a huge challenge to our belief system. And really, it's also a challenge to how we actually understand how relationships work. That relationships actually, so it's a re-education. It's an unlearning and a re-education. That relationships really work best when people are mindful of their own needs and mindful of the other person's needs. And that they are, when you love someone, you, their needs are in, as important as your own. And when you are valuing yourself, your needs are as important as theirs. And then there's, you know, obviously a negotiation. And when you're in a relationship, sometimes you do have to put your partner's needs before yours. If they're having a really hard time, like sometimes, you know, sometimes you do have to not go to the gym and stay home and console your partner because they're having a hard time. That's called being a good partner. Right. So that's not about like, that's not self-betrayal. That's just part of being in a relationship. But what's so painful about codependency and people pleasing is again, a complete, it's, it's the infrastructure of that person's mind and how they see the world, which is I have to do this in order to get love. And so as a result, I'm going to sacrifice myself, but then I'm going to resent the hell out of this person. And I'm going to, you know, feel like the victim because I betrayed myself, but really I'm blaming them for my self-betrayal as opposed to taking the responsibility and seeing and that, 
this is you being a victim of your own mind and of your own belief system. And you've got to restructure the way that you see, understand relationship and love. Big key points there. I'll just say yes to all of that. It's the nuance that I cannot share. Yeah, it's the nuance that that one can't share on social media because it's just too nuanced. And, you know, social media is about one minute reels, not 10 minute videos like it used to be. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. Um, Speaking of social media, I saw one of your posts recently. It felt like you were really fired up, read the caption, and I was like, this is an interesting topic too. Uh, Oh, identifying identifying breadcrumbs and uh, your tolerance for that versus like, like, oh, like uh, settling, so to speak. Right. For somebody and how to have, how, how is tolerance created for that? Or how does somebody have discernment there? Okay. So what's, what's the specific question? How do you identify maybe that you're settling or for breadcrumbs and how do you accept like Okay, I want a full meal, which was with the the terminology you used in the caption. Right, right. Um, so usually, so what I mean by that is, it's usually people who are in, but not exclusive, but people who are in sort of like the early stages of dating and relationship, and they are telling themselves like that they want this person, but this person is like one foot in, one foot out. They're not consistent with them. They're giving them mixed messages. They're giving them like just enough attention to keep that person captivated. And so that's the ultimate, like that's the ultimate self-betrayal is I'm allowing myself to be in this quote unquote relationship in which I am not getting anything that I'm putting out. I'm I'm getting very, very little and I'm not saying anything about it. And so many people weren't modeled a relationship in which people, in which their parents were very happy and fulfilled. And so a lot of people don't realize that actually, like when you're in a relationship with someone, a healthy relationship means that people are not playing games with each other. They're not stringing them along. When I say don't settle, like, Don't settle for anyone who isn't absolutely out of their mind, thrilled to be spending time with you. Mm. Now, of course, of course, of course, you know, the first few dates, you're, you're, you're figuring it out. But, you know, I see people go on and on like months, sometimes years with someone who's just like not that thrilled where they're putting everyone before that person. That's what I mean by saying, don't settle. Don't settle for that. You actually like, it's actually possible to be in a relationship with someone who puts you first, you know, and that's important. Very important. And so I also heard in in another post kind of jumping topics of us creating stories and narratives around love. You even brought it up earlier about we have to change our paradigm or how we think about relationships. Could you dive a little bit more into that of our views of relationship and how that's important to shift that dynamic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it depends what you want out of a relationship. If you want an extraordinary relationship, then you have to be extraordinary in it. And you're not a relationship. Isn't this separate entity. It's like a relationship is co-created by two people. Right. And so therefore, if you want it to be great, you got to be great in it. 
And so what does that actually mean? You have to communicate. You have to be honest. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be loyal. You have to be trustworthy. You have to be fun. I mean, there's a lot of things. You kind of have to show up as much as you can as your higher self. And you also have to have the create a safe space for someone you love to sometimes unravel and fall apart because we're only human. So I think that people think that a relationship is going to save them. They think it's going to be like a fairy tale. It's not. It takes a concerted and conscientious effort to show up as much as we can with as our higher selves. And when we don't, because we won't, we will mess up and we will unravel and we will have our low character moments. And that's when we quickly say like, wow, that was very uncool of me. That was, I, I apologize. I think that's what I was really referring to is understanding that, that a relationship is not about putting someone, you know, making, it's really, it's not 50-50 it's a symbiotic flow of energy and everyone, it's not like, oh, you have to be this amount of independence, this amount of interdependence. Every couple is different. What works for one couple doesn't necessarily work for another. But the bottom line, I think, is if you want a great relationship, you've got to be great in it. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And the, you know, I, I know that's a big piece of your teaching is like shifting your relationship to self to change how you show up in the relationship. And I, you know, being in the space as well, I see so many people that go to the relationship to shift themselves or, or shift the relationship so they can change how they're feeling instead of the inner dynamic. And so how do you see, I guess, circling back to the boundaries, self-worth conversation a little bit, the mirror of relationship or maybe it doesn't circle back but you see something in your partner and maybe you you're not liking you wish was different you want to change where's the mirror in that because i think you know it's, it's something cute to say that it's a mirror and it's real and i think some people have a hard time seeing that mirror for what yeah it is. okay so oftentimes and and i really do mean oftentimes that thing that we want to change in our partner after you know six months or a year or like 10 years or whatever is usually the thing that we were most turned on by in the beginning. So Oof. a lot of people, okay. So a lot of people will be like, let's just, I'm just, again, this is a very random example for, for clarity's sake. Let's say you are more introverted, a little bit more quiet. You prefer like, you know, more intimate settings of social settings. And you fall in love with someone who's like, big personality, loud, lover of life, vivacious, just, you know, like that person that's just so amazing. And then you're like, that's the thing that you love so much about them. They pull you out of your shell a little bit. Like it, it's just, you know, it works. And then a year down the road or two years or whatever, once the honeymoon fades, you know, all of a sudden you're like wishing that they would be more quiet. You're wishing that they would be essentially more like you. And that is because that vivacious part of them is actually a part of you that you are not in touch with. Like when you met them and they pulled you out of your shell, you were able, like you, a lot of times, like, let's just say that same person, they're like, I love this person so much because I feel really alive when I'm with them. 
And then all of a sudden it's like that aliveness. You're like, you go back to your old ways. You don't want to access that aliveness in yourself anymore. And then all of a sudden you see them as loud and annoying. And you're thinking, can you just be quiet? Can you just like, can you just chill out? Can you just like stop? And the other person is like, what the fuck? Like, why is this per like, why are they on my back? And it's, and that's the mirror. That's the like, you, this isn't about them. This is completely about you. That's what they're saying internally to that part of themselves. Oftentimes, knowingly or unknowingly, the, can you just be quiet or sit down? Like, right. Is that what you're saying? No, no. So what I'm saying is they once represented something that you really wanted that you maybe even felt divorced from in your own, in your own psyche. Mm -hmm. Now you don't want them to be like that. So you've got to look in the mirror and say, and remind yourself, this isn't about them having to change. This is about you not appreciating them anymore. And you, and another way to layer of this is you not accessing that joy within you. So their joy is starting to bother you. Another way that a relationship is a mirror is to this, because there's many ways is, you know, the relationship's not going well because you have low self-esteem. And every time you feel betrayed in the relationship, what it's showing you is that you have low self-esteem because you haven't asserted yourself in the relationship. So that's another way that a relationship is a mirror and it reflects back your relationship with yourself. Sometimes people will really be, you'll be very another way that a relationship is a mirror is that you'll be very triggered by your partner but what they're doing that's triggering you is actually something that you can't stand in yourself this would be sort of like carl jung's shadow thing it's like oh they're being so anxious and annoying it's like okay you just hate that in yourself you haven't learned to reconcile that within yourself so instead, you're just going to project it onto them and hate them for it. Mm -hmm. They're just mirroring back to you the thing that you need to accept within yourself. Does that make sense? 100%. And when it comes to the, to the mirror bit, how and when can you know? This is somewhat on the same topic because I think people are in this space of like, okay, cool. I can I see the mirror now. Let me do the work and let me double down. And then where is the... Well, I guess it'd be different for every couple. That's kind of the theme in the conversation. But where is the line and how can somebody identify of do I double down or this isn't right for me? You mean staying or going in a relationship? Yeah. 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 I mean, again, it's so, you know, it's probably the question that I get asked the most in these interviews. So here's in my own podcast, I said seven things, seven questions to ask yourself before you leave a relationship. So let me just give you just sort of a framework. If there's any abuse, any psychological or physical violence in any way, there's no, there's no working it out. You just need to get out. There's just no working. There's, it's over. I agree. Yep. But that's, you know, that's not the norm. The norm is all the other stuff. So look, I think that a staggering amount of couples don't actually know what their partner's needs are. They actually don't know what their love language is. They actually don't know what it is 
that they really need. And a lot of couples, a lot of people are not, don't take accountability, the blame game. So if you're playing the blame game, it's not time to leave your relationship. It's time to get accountable. It's time to see your role. It's time to start communicating. And I wouldn't end the relationship until you you get to that point. So, you know, do I know my needs? Have I been saying what it is do I, that I need? Do I know their needs? Have I been meeting their needs? So we really have to evaluate ourselves as a person in a relationship as much as we're evaluating the other. For some people, you know it's time to go because your values are just not the same. You've grown apart. And you want very different things out of your future. That's a big one. It's a big one. You know, it's very important. One of the things that's very important that makes a relationship worth pursuing is do you want the same things out of life overall? Mm -hmm. It's important because you're basically agreeing. I mean, after a certain age, Certainly, I think after the, I mean, for many people younger, but certainly after the age of 30 or 35, when you get into a relationship, you're kind of looking for longevity, most people, right? They're looking for like future. Well, you kind of have to think about that mm. <laughs> then. Yeah. And if you're not clear on it yourself, it's also something important to look at too. Yeah. And you may it's not clear. entirely be, but, but then it has to be conversation. Yeah. Right. Right. Those are really good points. The, then, you know, if somebody hears this and they're like, okay, wow, it's not that then how can they start to rebuild safety or trust in the relationship? Cause I know that's a cornerstone importance to any relationship. It's the foundation. It depends. Well, it depends what we're talking about. We're we talking about a relation, a marriage where the foundation has been ruptured. Are we talking about two people who started to date, you know, like, it takes time to build safety and trust in the beginning. And you do that by having important conversations. You do that by being honest and vulnerable. And that's how you build safety and trust. You do that with transparency. I think transparency and loyalty, these are things that are very important to a relationship. Very, very, very important. But when it comes to rebuilding trust, it depends if there was a betrayal, then you need a third party. You need a third party therapist or counselor to help you if you want to rebuild trust. Yeah. And why do you say that that's very important. important? Yeah. Oh, to have a third party? Yeah. Well, because I mean, if you're trying to recover after an infidelity or some sort of betrayal, it's, you know, you need someone who's going to help you, the both of you navigate coming back to each other, it's a very hard waters to, to try to swim. So you yeah. need someone to, you need, you need a mentor, you need a guide, you need a Sherpa. And that's in the form of a counselor, coach, therapist, something like that. Yeah. And that's something that's really, you know, important navigating all of this, this, the waters of the relationships and even personal life can be tough to do when it's solely on your own. Um, having a community or, or a mentor can really be supportive to see what you can't see. Definitely. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm in for that. Like, yeah, show me my shit so I can, <laughs> I can change. Yeah, you know, exactly. that's more often, more often than not. What are, is something that you're working on currently? I know you, you're all about the inner relationship with yourself to then show up differently in your relationship 
is there anything you're working on right now or any, anything that's inspiring you, your curiosity? I'm, I'm writing a book. So that's kind of like the main thing in my life right now. <laughs> that, that'd be a big thing. It's, it's kind of a major thing. Yeah. So I'm writing a book. I have a lot of different, you know, projects right now, but it's all, all within the topic of relationship and it always boils down to your relationship with yourself. So self-love, self-esteem, showing up into a relationship better, making better choices in your love life. I mean, that's all the stuff that floats my boat the most. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. that. All, you what's, know? what's the book on? Yeah. All the things? Relationships. Relationships yeah. for sure. But I think it's gonna I think it's gonna really be particularly helpful for people who are like why is every area of my life kind of on point, but not this area? And I think Oof. that this is going to, yeah, going to be a really great guide to help them mm -hmm. bring that area of their life into balance with the rest of their lives. That's amazing. What Can you share anything about the book, what it's called? Where people can, if there's pre-orders or any, I don't know, where can they? Oh find no, it? it's gonna be not really not. Like, oh not God, yet. yes, pre <laughs> pre-orders in about a year. Not yet, not yet. I'm just in the writing mode. I'm just in the writing mode. So just like you know, I will let everyone know. And yeah, exactly. Not yet. I know. I love Trust it. me. I love it. Yeah. Well, cliffhanger. Follow cliffhanger. On media. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's exciting because you have built it. You have built a large audience. You know, doing this work, and you're, you're definitely one of the uh, strong voices in the inner work as it relates to relationships in that kind of arena right now. Why do you think that this is such a topic of interest for so many people? Because it's where people usually struggle the most. Yeah. It's where people feel the most vulnerable. It's where people feel the least prepared for and equipped for. We, we don't learn this stuff in school. And it's where our egos are the most fragile. It's where our old trauma and childhood conditioning comes up the most. It's where we fear. It's where, you know, because love is the most important thing. And if we and relationships can be very uncertain. So, yeah, it's where people struggle the most, honestly. Yeah, we seem to have, you know, because we're relational beings, which is very interesting. And so it's like we're, we struggle so much with the thing that really makes us human. Ultimately, I feel. Yes. Um, and just your own idea of why do you think we struggle there so much, like evolutionarily as humans, you know, why is that so much, so much a pain point throughout where we're at right now, given the history that we've had, if it's such a strong desire, you know, to connect. I think that a lot of, we're not taught how to choose our partners. That's true. And as a result, most people don't choose very well. And choosing is more than half, who you choose is half the battle, if not more. I think that, again, we're not, not everyone, but a lot of people are not modeled what healthy relating is. Yeah. I think that people have, there's a lot of sexual shame too, which interferes with people's relationships. I think that people have, are very, we're not taught as a culture that how to grieve and that grieving is a part of life and that there is a life cycle to everything, including a relationship. Every relationship has an expiration, whether that's because someone dies or because the relationship just ends. Every relationship has an expiration date. And we are not taught how to process that grief and how to mourn properly 
And so most of us are walking around terrified of being abandoned. And so we've learned these sort of tricks of the trade on how to protect ourselves. Some people they'll control and cling. Some people will shut down. Some people will have an armor around their heart. Some people will, you know, romanticize relationships. I mean, we've got, you know, it runs the gamut, but most people are pretty terrified of being left and rejected. And uh, we, we place a lot of stock in relationships in a way that I think that we haven't in the past. You know, it's like we, if we are left in any way, then we're inadequate. If we are, but this is, you know, this is centuries. This is centuries, unrequited love, romance, trying to find love and relationship. And, you know, I think also we have a lot of expectations now that our parents and grandparents did not have. I think that the expectations of former generations is it's the same expectations around work and career. It's like you have a work ethic, you have a relationship ethic and you freaking make it work. And now we're just sort of like, you know, we're all on a for better and for worse on this sort of trajectory towards I must feel fulfilled. This must be the best life. And so then we're putting a lot of pressure to, you know, around our career and relationships. That's very true. I, I can see that of like live, wanting to live your best life and the expectations that could come from that actually being a detriment to making it happen in some regard. Yeah. Oof. That's deep. Oof. It's deep. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Because no one's perfect yeah. and there's no perfect relationship. There's no perfect partner and there's no one coming to save us. It's not really the fun, sexy stuff to be able to say, like, look, sometimes you're going to, like, look at your partner and be like, really? This is the choice I made? And, like, you're going to have to, like, pay attention to your own proclivity towards nitpicking and being critical and taking the other person for granted and all these things that harm a relationship and to learn and harm our relationship with ourselves and harm our relationship with life. It's like, what's the secret to a great life? Gratitude and appreciation. But it's very hard for us to, myself included, to step back to really entrench ourselves in that. You know, we, we lose sight that the person next to us is actually a gift that like actually the grass isn't greener on the other side. That's your mind playing tricks on you. Because right now we're talking about the opposite, you know, never settling. That's a different conversation, right? Because there are people who settle for utter nonsense and tolerate bullshit. Now we're talking about having realistic, healthy expectations of partnership. That isn't about settling. It's about mm. not expecting perfection. And so this is a spectrum. Yeah, that part, not expecting perfection. Do you think that's because we expect it from ourselves? Is that a mirror for a lot of... Well, I think a lot of people, people who are who judge themselves the harshest are usually the heaviest judge, judges of others. So that that's definitely yeah. part of it. That's definitely part of it. But I also think it's this lie that we're being sold right now of like this perfect relationship and got to be careful not to get seduced by that ideal you know it's it's about loving a flawed individual perfectly not about finding a perfect individual mic drop yeah 
and the journey that can go on. Cause I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about how to find the right person, which is kind of reflecting on what you're, you've been talking about. Right. But sure. I feel there's not as much talk about how to be the right person or to show up in, in a great way in your relationship. And what you just shared is, you know, that's the same quest of learning to love yourself. The deeper mm-hmm. you can go with you, the deeper than you can accept and love another. Yeah. And part of going deeper with yourself is transcending your ego and your fear and showing up as the right person when all you want to do is go back to your old ways of behavior in a relationship that serves no one. Yeah. And that can be where relationships are their greatest uh, space to go for spiritual growth. I feel for a lot of people. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great vehicle for growth. It can be if you want it to be, or it could just be, you know, whatever, but then you'll have a whatever relationship and a whatever life. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that, you know, especially people that are listening to this podcast as far in don't want that. So I feel like they are signing up for the work. So I say, I commend you for those of you listening for the courage to lean in. Um, Jillian, this was an amazing conversation. Seriously, thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing your heart here um, on the podcast. I know you're in process of writing the book. It sounds like the early stages. There is a book yes. coming. I'm excited for that. But where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Well, first of all, thank you for having me and for the conversation. I appreciate it. So basically, you need to know the spelling of my first and last name because it's JillianTarecki.com where I have a membership there. I have courses there. And then my Instagram at Jillian Trekkie, and then my podcast, Jillian on Love, and other social media outlets, you know, tr- threads, Twitter, TikTok. But if you know my name and you know Jillian on Love, you can find me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And again, this was thank an you. honor and a pleasure.